You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. From an evolutionary point of view, we're the same creatures we were 20,000 years ago or 50,000 years ago. Maybe just at a primal level, we don't want stuff. Well, we don't want stuff, but we do want stuff. And I mean, I think you're pointing out something very important, which is people do tend to project their identity into their environment. And, and objects do remind us of the people and places and activities we love. And we do want to shape our environment to reflect something about ourselves. And even when you look at like nomadic people tens of thousands of years ago, they had decorative objects. They would bury things. It's a very human thing to want to have these objects. What is helpful is to have things that you have mindfully chosen. So part of it is to pick the thing that truly does embody what you want to remember, what you want to shine a spotlight on, and then get rid of the things that are just, again, kind of clogging it up. So it seems like there is a theme, which is that clutter is not necessarily just physical clutter. It's also kind of the mental clutter oh, 100%. of not trying to do all these things that are not necessarily, you know, kind of central to who you are. And all of these things are related, just kind of having a, a 
less clutter in our lives, both internally and externally. This is great because one of the real principles that I believe in is don't try to change yourself, change your environment. I always, I, my problem is right before the beginning of a podcast, I get a little nervous and I forget everything. Oh, I know the feeling. So I always have like a little list in the beginning. As one does, yes. All right, Jay, we ready? So once again, Gretchen Rubin, Gretchen Rubin, welcome back to the podcast. How I think you've been on this like your third time on. I think this is my third time on. Yes, thank I, you. I think you came on for the happiness, either the happiness project or your book after that, Happier at Home. And I think you were also on for Better Than Before. Yeah. And now you're on for your brand new book, which I really enjoy, Outer Order, Inner Calm, which I would say is like, I know people, you're going to hate this and people are going to say this, <laughs> but this is like your version of Marie Kondo's book. Uh, well, um, it is tackling this idea of outer order. So, you know, she, Marie Kondo has her way, um, and I have kind of a different way, but we're definitely aiming um, in, in the same. But, you know, she's sort of magical, and I'm practical. Um, she's the expert that you hire, and I'm the friend who comes over and sits on the side of the bed and drinks coffee while you go through your closet. You and, and the basic idea is that we kind of live maybe overcluttered lives, or at least we contain... We're not necessarily always happy with the objects we have in our lives, whether they're too much or too little or whatever. Right. And it's kind of finding that right balance of order and cleanliness and not needing as much or getting rid of old old stuff so that we reach kind of this optimal level of happiness with what we have. Exactly. I think for a lot of people, you just feel sort of clogged up. Like there's just sort of much too much too much stuff going through, and when you get rid of the things you don't need, don't use, or don't love, then you just have more space. You have, you know, you can see what you love better. You can make better use of what you have, and you just there is sort of a sense of calm that comes from. You know, a friend of mine said, you know, I've, I haven't seen the the floor of my closet in years. It just it just feels so good just to see the floor, and um, I think that a lot of people feel that way. It's kind of to a crazy amount. It's sort of. It's always interested me how much of a charge people, and I include myself, the charge that people get from creating outer order. You know, it's like there's sort of an extra emotional buzz to it that's always intrigued me. Well, well, why do you think that is? Like, why do you think seeing the floor of the closet as opposed to, let's say, having all your clothes there and other junk there and yeah. your kids' junk yeah. and junk from two houses ago still yeah. there, yeah, yeah, unpacked yeah. in boxes yeah. and yeah. paperwork? Yeah. Why do you think clearing all that up and seeing the floor and having just minimal stuff there makes people happier. Well, I think there's a bunch of things going on. I mean, first, just like on the sheer practical level, it gets easier to find things. It's easier to clean. It's easier to put things away. So just life feels easier. Um, but then I think there's also, there's a lot of emotion attached to things. And a lot of times stuff that we have can have guilt attached to it or regret um, or kind of a sense of not living up to a fantasy. So maybe I've half finished uh, a needlepoint project and I feel guilty about the fact that I haven't finished. Or I feel regret because I spent a lot of money on a coat and I've only worn the coat one time. Or maybe it still has the tags on it. Or I feel like this fantasy, like I was going to learn to play the guitar and it was going to be amazing. And I have a guitar in the music stand, but I don't really play the guitar. So, so it's funny, like all these things, like you're, you're almost saying like lots of extra objects are basically extra like material 
manifestations yeah. <laughs> of regret. Yes, yes, it's like it's, exactly. like, a, it's, like, a, it's yes. like a library of regrets, like yes. all your extra yes. stuff. It is, and that's why I think people do are often very surprised at the emotional relief that they get from getting rid of those things because you get them off your shelves, but you get, also get them off your conscience. And so once you resolve them by sort of saying, well, I'm not going to finish this project, so I'm going to get rid of it, or this coat, I'm going to give it away so that somebody who needs a, a warm winter coat will put, put it to good use— then it kind of wipes away those bad feelings. That library now has, um, you're, you're not facing that. So that's part of it. And then I think also um, a lot of time there's sort of unfinished business um, or like a lack of curation because we haven't wanted to face the decision fatigue of what to keep and what to not keep. So it's easier to keep everything than to pick and choose. You know, So, okay, my kids have outgrown their clothes. It's easier just to put everything up in the attic than it is to kind of go through week by week by week and say, like, is this worth keeping? Should I give this away? Is this, like, basically just a rag? Um, rather than put ourselves, or like, okay, I have, you know, like, I just went through this. I, literally, I just went through this last week. I'm looking through my kitchen. I find two garlic presses. Why do we have two garlic presses? I don't know. So then I'm like, let's give away a garlic press. And then a week later, I'm like, but we don't even use one garlic press. Why do we have any garlic presses? Let's give away both garlic presses. But that kind of took a little bit of decision-making for me. A lot of times it's easier just to leave them in the drawer and not think about it. So I think sometimes, too, we have put off that decision-making, but then when we actually sit down and face it, we feel tremendous relief in just thinking, okay, everything's been sorted out properly. So regrets, yeah, decision fatigue. Decision fatigue. There must be something to the fact that, um, is there something primal, do you think, like when we, let's say twenty thousand years ago, and we were living in tribes, and we had to move around quickly. You know, we were more nomadic. People didn't accumulate things. It's not like you could accumulate furniture, right? Right, because you couldn't move. You had to basically just just get up and move if you were attacked or if there was no more food left. You, 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 it's sort of like a, you know, from an evolutionary point of view, we're the same creatures we were twenty thousand years ago or fifty thousand years ago maybe just prime at a primal level. We don't want stuff. Well, we don't want stuff, but we do want stuff. And I mean, I think you're pointing out something very important, which is, you know, people do tend to project their identity into their environment. And, and objects do remind us of the people and places and activities we love. And we do want to shape our environment to reflect something about ourselves. And even when you look at, like, nomadic people tens of thousands of years ago, they had decorative objects. They would use things... They would bury things um, just as beautiful, you know, as beautiful objects to accompany a dead person when you're like, well, they're live, you know, why would they do that? Why would they use up their stuff that way? It's like, it's a very human thing to want to, um, I mean, maybe you can't have something that weighs a ton, but you, but they, but people still do have these objects. But it's, I think the, what is helpful is to have things that you have mindfully chosen and are truly what you love or, and not just a bunch of meaningless things. So it's like you can have, you know, people talk about mementos. It's like, okay, well, you can have 50 mementos, in which case, like, you can't even manage. Like, if you have 50 papers, um, you know, you have all your notebooks from college. It's like they're just going to sit in a box in the basement, and eventually they'll get flooded, and you'll throw them away. Um, but if you picked one thing that's, like, the iconic thing or, like, the one notebook that meant the most to you and you put it on the shelf, then you could appreciate that. So part of it is is to pick the thing that truly does embody what you want to remember, what you want to shine a spotlight on, and then get rid of the things that are just again kind of clogging it, clogging it up. Well, let's 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 reel back a second because um, 
you've obviously put a lot of thought not only into this, but into happiness in general. Yeah. What sort of activities and habits create higher levels of happiness? And your first book, uh, The Happiness Project, and I, it wasn't your first book, right? But it was like the, the, the first in the series. Kind yeah, of, yeah. Uh, it was, you know, I, I think it sold millions of copies. It's certainly yeah. how I, I knew you, and um, the, you, I, I forget what was going on in your life. You were. Uh, you wanted to be happier, yeah, and and in very AJ Jacobs style, yes, rather yes, than yes. just writing about research <laughs> yeah. on happiness, yeah. you did all the things re required to make yourself happier. Like, what were some of the things you did that led to that book? Yeah, no, like, yeah, I was my own guinea pig. So I was like, what happens if I go to bed earlier? What happens if I clear clutter? What happens if I started? children's literature book group, what happens, you know. So, yeah, I, I tried to do all a bunch of different things to see, like, what would make me happier. And and right now, years later, what, what still, you know, what still, what changes in your life that you made then still exist or what ideas still exist that oh. are, are make you happier? Well, just about all of them. I mean, I've tried now so many things. And, um, you know, I did my research, so I tried to pick things that would make me happier. And for the most part, the things did make me happier. So I continue to do... Um, just about everything. Um, one thing that I did not continue was the gratitude journal. I found keeping a gratitude journal deeply annoying. And it turns out research shows that for many people, you should do it like twice a week, not every day, I guess. So so gratitude journal is like you list all the things you were grateful for that day. Or like, like three things that you're grateful for that day. Or then people have things where it's like they go around the kitchen table and they say one thing they're grateful for. I find this deeply annoying. I don't know why. But anyway, so that was something that did not work for me. But that is that is sort of classic happiness advice. It works for many people. Did not work for me. Um one thing I tried was meditation. I've tried meditation twice, like good solid tries. Um, does not make does not make me happier. Does not do anything for me. So I've tried it and and given it up because those are. But but just about everything that I've tried has worked. Plus well, many more things. Why do you know it didn't make you happier? Like you you would do it and. I mean, just I just couldn't tell. It just didn't seem like it was doing anything. And of course, people who love to meditate are like, "Well, that just means you have to meditate longer, and like you got to keep going. You need it all the more." And I'm like, "Yeah, but that I mean, uh, yeah, I'm just not going to." Yeah. So, but then it all it kind of underlines like, what's the, what is? Um, I hate to ask that cliche question, but like, what is happiness? Yeah. Like, is it just um, some neurochemicals, mm, mm. you know, spiking in our brain, or right. you know, because obviously to achieve. You know, there's I, there's a term for this. Um, like um, sometimes we 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 aim for the smaller mountaintops because we don't see the bigger mountaintops mm -hmm. beyond the valley. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes, in order to to be good at something or to achieve uh, success at something or even happiness at something, you have to go through some valleys and some suffering and some failure to kind mm -hmm. of achieve mm -hmm. deeper highs. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, fortunately, life supplies those. We don't have to go out of our ways uh, to 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 find challenges and troughs. Um, but you know, I started my career in law, and so I spent an entire semester arguing about the definition of contract and the definition of tort. And um, happiness is even more complex a concept to describe. There's something like 15 academic definitions of happiness. So I never really tried to define it. And if you want to say it's peace, and somebody else wants to say it's bliss, or life satisfaction or well-being or I think, well, the, I, the word happiness is big enough to encompass all those meanings. And I think for the average person, I mean, scientists have to agree on a term in order to study something. But I think for the average person, it's easier and more helpful to think about, well, what would make me happier? Whatever I conceive of happiness to be, 
if I did this or did that, would that make me happier? And I think for most people, that's pretty clear. Like, they're like, yeah, I think that would make me happier. And then you could just try it and see, like, well, do I feel happier? However I conceive of happiness. Um, because when you start focusing on happiness, it's like, well, what is it? How do you get there? Can you stay there? I, I, I don't I don't find it's very helpful. Well, what's, what's like a sample decision where you had to make recently where uh, if you went one direction, you would have been unhappy, and you felt like if you went this other direction, you would be happy? Well, I don't know that I, it was like that, but a way where my happiness thinking came into play. So, okay, for so I clerked on the Supreme Court, and we are coming up on our 25th anniversary of like the October term when my cohort of clerks clerked. And I was thinking, we should have a reunion. And then it occurred to me, well, if anybody, I'm going to be, I'm going to have to be the one to play in that reunion. No one else is going to play in that reunion. If I think there's going to have to be a reunion, I'll have to, I will have to lead the charge unless someone like mysteriously and magically drops out, uh, drops from the heavens, which I don't think they will. And I think before I had studied happiness so much, I would have thought, you know, this is so much time. It's so much effort. There's no reason I should be the one to do it. Um, yeah, you know, like I hope somebody does, but I'm not going to worry about it. But now I know from happiness, I'm like, the key to happiness is relationships. Anything that deepens or broadens relationships makes us happier. We, we feel sad when we feel that someone has drifted away. It's very exciting and pleasing to us when someone comes back into our lives. These are people who are very important to me. Many of them I'm really, really good friends with. Some I see all the time. Some I rarely see but would love to see them more often. We shared a really important experience together. If we're ever going to do it, this is the time. And the fact is I'm the one to do it, you know? And so um, not that I do all the work myself, but I have to be the one to kind of start the ball rolling. And having thought so much about happiness, I'm like, yeah, I should do it. It will be a nuisance. It will be a pain. I, there are many times when I will be like, I wish I weren't doing this. But I will be very happy that I did it. And I don't think I would have had my, the, my I would not have analyzed that the same way, um, you know, 10 years ago. So do you think, um, like, before you started on this project, were you feeling lacking in your relationships and in your friendships? No, you know, I was pretty happy. And in that way, I was like most people. Most people all around the world, they say they're pretty happy or very happy. Most people are pretty happy. So I was pretty happy. I was not coming from a place of deep unhappiness. But I did feel like, I, I thought... I might be, I thought I could be happier. And and one of the things I wanted to do was to appreciate my happiness more. Like I felt like I was taking it for granted and I wasn't really appreciating everything that I had um, and I had so much to be happy about. So I, wa I did want to feel more grateful for it, more mindfully grateful for it. Um, and then I just felt like there was probably low-hanging fruit, of which there was a ton. And I think that's true for many people is there's a lot of things we can do without taking a lot of time, energy, or money that will boost our happiness. So to me, it seems like kind of a waste not to think about those things and, and to take advantage of them. Like what, what are some of them I could do today? I mean, I'm sure I could go back and read your, your yeah. book. And, and Well, like read more. <laughs> a lot of people say to me, I really wish I could read more. I love to read and I just don't make time to read. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, we can, okay, let's think about that. Okay, uh, are you a morning person or a night person? Do you want to join a book group? That could be a fun way to have friends and get more reading done. Uh, do you spend a lot of time looking for things? The average American spends 55 minutes a day looking for things. Maybe we can clear your clutter and then you're going to have an extra half an hour to read every day. Maybe you're trying to read before bed because that's kind of a classic time to read. Like, I can't read before bed. I'm too tired. So maybe that's not working for you. Maybe you'd like to get up early and read. Maybe, you know, there's like a million solutions for that, but you have to begin to say, I think I would be happier if I read more. Hmm. And now I have to think about, is there a way that I could read more? And then it's like, well, then if you have trouble forming the habit of reading more, why are you having trouble with that habit? And that was my book, Better Than Before, which is I was just curious, like people say things, they would like to do things that they know would make them happier, and then they don't follow through. 
why not? Usually it's a problem of habit formation. So that was a book that was all about how do you change your habits? If you want to read more and you're not reading more, how can you change your habits so you do read more? Is it is there is there something where like if you do something for so many days in a row, then now it's a new habit? No, that's no, no, no. That alas, that is not true. So well, I, I want to get back to the relationships thing for one second. How many friends do you think someone should have? Like I feel like as I get older, I have mm. fewer and fewer friends, mm. and because probably because more people hate me. Mm. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I don't think that that's an answer where there's one answer. I think you know, to me, a lot of times there is no magic one size fits all solution or 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 answer that fits for everybody. I think some people have um want to have fewer relationships what they want to manage fewer relationships and some people want to manage more relationships and i just i think for each of us and i've seen that what is it dubner's law or whatever that law is um about like people can handle like 150 relationships even even that which is sort of like allegedly founded in evolutionary psychology i'm like i think people have really different aptitudes i think some people can have a big circle and manage a big circle and some people don't want a big circle. I I sort of feel like I sort of like my alone time. I yeah. feel like I don't need as many yeah. close friends as other people. But at the yeah. same time, I get scared when I think about it. I get anxious. Mm. Oh, when I get older, I'm, I'm not yeah. going to have any friends. Well, that's a very good thing to think about um, because because one of the things that's really important as we get older is to have active friendships, and that's one of the reasons why people who have friends of different ages tend to be happier and. Um, you know, you what, what is that thing? Make new friends, but keep the old. One is silver, one is gold. I mean, you really, you, 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 to be happy, we we need friendships, we need bonds, we need to be able to confide, we need to feel like we belong, and you don't want to get to the point where you're 80 years old and basically you don't know, you don't have any friends left. So it, I think it's worth thinking about maintaining relationships. But like, I I literally don't have any friends from let's say 30 years ago. So do you think it's too late to to start making friends? No, but you might want to just go out of your way to maintain friendships that you have. I mean, a lot of us have friendships that are kind of um not drifting away, but they are they're further out of reach than they were. Um and uh and Elizabeth actually my sister and I talked about this on the Happier uh podcast, which is you can revive a dormant friendship. Often there are people in our lives where you're you're like, you were the neighbor I was super close to, but then you moved away and then we kind of lost touch. But we were really, really good friends. Like maybe I can reconnect with mm. you. Or um, you know, we went we were really, really good friends on high school and I haven't seen you in a long time, but we still have this like shared history together. We probably would still like each other if we saw each other. Or maybe you're the one that got away. Like, I always really liked you and I thought you were so cool and I always wished that we could be friends, but somehow we were too busy and we never took it to that next level. But maybe now I could say like, hey, you know, um, I was thinking of you for some reason. So sometimes there are, there are possibilities in our past if we look. Or you can join a group. That's a great way um, to make new friends if you start a group or join a group. Is it is it like I feel like when you're you know like when you're in college it's easy you, 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 it's yeah. easy and not only that you're like in the trenches with somebody like yes. you're you're day and night yes. like doing homework yes. dealing with relationships uh you're all the same age yeah. you're at the same stage like now at the age of 51 it's different it's not yes. like you know it's not like you call people up and say hey yeah let's hang out right well, and that's one of the most common happiness challenges that adults talk about is wanting to have more friends. But, um, but like, I do think joining or starting a group is a great way to make friends. 
Um, for instance, I was just, um, I was in, I'm in a writer's group, which I made lots of friends in when I joined this writer's group. And somebody there said, oh, I've started a podcast group. Do you want to be part of the podcast group? And I was like, this sounds really cool. And she was telling me, you know, and they get together and they really talk about podcasts, which is something that I'm interested in, kind of the new thing and their theories about like what makes for a good podcast. And I don't know the woman who started it very well, but she seems really cool. And then I'm like, and then it's all her friends. And there's something called triadic closure, which is the easiest way to make friends is to make friends with the friends of our friends. So if you and I are friends, it's easier for me to make a friend of somebody who's already your friend than some stranger. And so joining a group, it's like, well, you've already had, you're joining a social network because people know each other. So that's easier than just asking random, you know, this person, that person out for coffee, which can feel very awkward. I also like a group because you have something in common, like you have a, like, oh, we're all interested in podcasts, or, oh, we all read the same book, or, oh, we're all obsessed with the Real Housewives franchise, or whatever, you know, or like... I'll join that group. Yeah, yeah, that's my sister's group. Or like my father-in-law was in a group where they talked about fly fishing. They didn't even go fly fishing. They just talked about fly fishing. But for them, it was like, this is incredibly fun. Like, all we want to do is talk about fly fishing. So, And the thing about a group, too, is so it's an easy way to expand your circle. And it's also, I mean, it sounds funny to talk about efficiency and friendship, but it is efficient because you're seeing, you know, like a handful or maybe up to like 15 people at one time. And if you miss it, then they meet again. And and so you're not making a lot of one-off plans, which is very tiring. And then like, oh, I can't come. And so now we have to reschedule. This is like, come if you can. If you can't make it, I'll see you in March. And if I can't see you then, maybe I'll see you in April. Um, it's just a good way if you're feeling like you you're you're casting about for ways to make friends. I heard of a, a group of guys who had a group uh, had a group where they were like realistically we're not going to read a book, um, so they took turns choosing uh, famous New Yorker profiles. So they would all read like the Johnny Carson profile or whatever, and um, these are beautifully written. They're you know classics of literature. They're about really interesting people. And what are they? Probably like three to five thousand words. So and and everybody can get them. Um, and I thought, well, that's a great idea because it's like gives you something to talk about. Um, it's an interesting thing to do. It's very manageable, so it's a realistic thing. You're going to be able to follow through, and um, you'll probably meet, meet some people that you're you'd like to be friends with. So. On a, on, a, on a different angle, what's the relationship between personal freedom and happiness? So mm. a lot of people will say, and, mm. and there's also a linkage between personal freedom and money. Uh-huh. Because if yes. you some people, uh, you know, they, they have mortgages, 10 kids, college, you know, student debt, and there's no end, so they have to work three jobs, and they're worried about being fired. And well, that's a is, lack of money problem. That's yes. not a money problem. Yeah, well, yeah. right, so either way, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, you know, what, what do you say to them if they say, okay, I'm going to worry about happiness after I worry about money? Yeah. It's easy for her to say she yeah. could yeah. join her podcast group and do her gratitude journal, yeah. and I've right. got to wake up at 5 in the morning right. and feed the kids, and right. then 10 p.m. Right. finally get to sleep. and. Right. Well, it's interesting about money because it's clear that money can't buy happiness, but it's also clear that money can buy many things that contribute greatly to happiness. And one of the luxuries, as you just, as your example points out, is one of the greatest luxuries that money can buy is the freedom from having to worry about money. So not having to worry about the the, the mortgage or not having to worry about the college tuition is a tremendous luxury that money can buy. And then money can also buy, it can buy you time. It can get you out of doing boring chores, which is a very, that's like a real drain on people's happiness. It's like having to do repetitive, boring chores. So maybe you can hire somebody to like do the, you know, to like mow the grass so you don't have to. Um, 
And um, But the thing about money is it's really how you use it because, you know, you can use your money to buy a bunch of cocaine and that would have one effect on your happiness or you could buy like a mountain bike and go mountain biking. Um, it's interesting. There, A lot of people say, oh, well, research shows that um, you're better off from a happiness perspective buying experiences rather than things. But I think this is this is like a more subtle distinction than is often recognized because often things represent or contribute to an experience because it's like the fun of mountain biking requires a mountain bike. Or like if I want to entertain more, that's easier if I have a dining room table. Or if I want to, like maybe I want to get a cool camera. Or I want to learn to play guitar. Or I want to get a dog. Um, all of these things are like a thing that I buy, but then they also really are leading to an experience. And so sometimes it's like, if it's your 10th pair of black boots, yeah, it's not gonna, it's, that's not going to move the needle. Or if you buy a fancy set of kitchen knives because you want to impress everybody who comes into your kitchen, but you never actually use them, it's not going to make any difference. But if you actually cook all the time and you had a bad set of kitchen knives and now you have a really terrific set of kitchen knives, that can really make you happy every day, you know, for like a year because you're like, oh my gosh, I just love having these really good knives um, because good tools can make work a joy. So um, so I think money can really make a difference in happiness, depending on if you if you spend it wisely. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I, loved, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side by side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit, where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours, and they were willing to pay for everything for me. So 
I, I, at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop, really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. So, so let's, let's, let's get in. All this is related to your most recent book, which is, you know, Outer Order, Intercom. And, uh, you know, I've, I was interested in the book. I've been through my own set of experiences with. Yes, let's talk about that. I basically, at one point, uh, this was several years ago, I had two leases coming up, uh, one upstate, one here in the city, uh, rental leases. Home for and, homes. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I had I, I really was not good at dealing with paperwork, and so I didn't want to renew the leases. I didn't want to um, rent anywhere new because uh, renting in New York City is very complicated. You yes. need like six <laughs> yeah. references yes. and bank statements and accounting statements and credit card checks and background checks and all this other stuff. So I was kind of at a loss where I I couldn't really renew my 
rental agreements for various reasons, and I didn't want to rent anywhere new. Uh-huh. And I didn't want to deal with storage. I had, I had, you know, 40 years worth of stuff at that time and, you know, spread across two places. And I just decided I'm going to throw everything out. Uh-huh. Like 100% yeah. of everything. Except yeah. I went on a trip with a carry-on bag. And while I was on the trip, I said to a friend of mine, you can go to my places, either th- throw everything out, um, give anything away that you want, keep anything that you want, or sell anything that you want. And don't call me at all. And she only called me once during the week. And she said, are you sure you want me to throw out your diploma? You worked really hard yeah. for that. And I said, I've got I've got no use for my diploma at all. Burn that one. Definitely don't do what anything else. What about photographs? I got rid of all photographs. Did uh, you digitize them or did you just no, toss them? Just toss. I didn't. I didn't because I didn't go back to any place okay. beforehand. I didn't have a chance. So you didn't prepare. To prepare. You didn't, okay. So there was no no. That was the other thing too. There was no preparation in this. Like the okay. decision happened and okay. I made it and I left town and that was it. There was nothing I could do. Well, see, it's interesting because people will, I've heard many people kind of have a fantasy of like um, something that would wipe everything away kind of against their volition so that there would be a fire or a flood and everything would just be swept away. And you did that to yourself. I did it. And, yeah. and people said, oh, were you really happy or you must have felt yeah. really free afterwards? And the answer is no. Like for instance, I miss the photographs of when I was a kid or when my kids were kids. Yeah. Um, but my goal wasn't necessarily my 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 goal that I was telling myself wasn't necessarily happiness. I just yeah. didn't want anything anymore. Right. And for years, I lived I lived in Airbnbs. Then, so you don't for have years. To, you did. Yeah. Uh, <gasps> How it's like long? About three years. Really. And um, every time I f- would go to a store and say, "Oh, this looks neat. I feel like buying this," it would be a discipline. I wouldn't be able to buy it because right. it had to fit in yeah. my bag. Like I couldn't yeah. buy. Since I was living in Airbnbs and moving every few days sometimes, right. I couldn't buy anything that would be not fit in my bag. Right. What's interesting because this idea of relinquishment is like a very common theme in human nature. Like many people are very drawn to the idea of, of, of like giving up everything or, you know, voluntary poverty and things of that nature. Um, and also, like, and it's it's interesting. Um, I wish I'd been, ta- I'd talked to you when I was writing my book, Happier at Home, because it's very unusual for someone not to have an idea of home, even if they're like, I'm traveling around the world, but my stuff is at my parents' house or something like Most people have kind of like a center. It sounds like you didn't have a center. I didn't, and I was moving from Airbnb to Airbnb. Yeah, no, so you didn't, you weren't even, you were like, you were, you, you truly, you weren't even in the same place for six months. Yeah, there was never a time I was in a place for six months. And did you love kind of like going to a new neighborhood and kind of having to figure out your way around and where's the grocery store? And well, I never went to the grocery store. That was the other thing is I never, oh. I never would shop. I would never have anything in the house. Oh, so other okay. than my bag, I would not bring anything into the Airbnb. So food. Oh, okay. um, you did everything out. I did everything out, or I would order delivery. Okay. Um, okay. So it was like any. It had to be taken out in the garbage the next yeah. day. Like I had to basically be able to. It almost sounds like I was a criminal, yeah. but I had to basically like be able to floor. disappear within a minute. I had wow. to basically just be able to pick up my bag and leave the place, and that was it, and and without looking back. Interesting. So if I bought food, you got to clean the cabinets. And, right, 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 right. You sure, know, and sure. Every, in an Airbnb— If you bought every, tw- a carton of eggs, it's like, well, then you need a skillet and a spatula, and then, like, you've got all these eggs that you— Are yeah, you going to yeah. bring them with you, so then you need a bag to put the the carton of eggs in, and yeah, it yeah. gets you into that whole thing. And wow. then there was other things, too, which is that um, 
I liked ordering delivery because I lost weight. And so what happens is for me, yeah, uh, I don't think know, that would be true for everyone, but yeah, but 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 like you know, will people have less and less willpower supposedly towards the end of the day, and that's when everyone goes shopping. That's when I would go shopping at the grocery store. And if I go in a grocery store and I see a bag of chips, yeah, I'm buying that bag of chips, oh, and I the see. entire bag is going in my I stomach. I see. So yeah. you can't order from a re- people say, oh, restaurant food's so rich, it's better to order go to the grocery store. For me, you can't you can't order a bag of Doritos at, at, for delivery sure, at a restaurant. Sure, sure. So I, I, I would so never order dessert at a restaurant. I would just order my meal and that's it. That is a great example of so how people- So no snacking then. Right, I, right, right. No, that's a great example of how people are different because it's the same thing with like when people are trying to control their spending. A lot of times they're like, oh, only pay with cash um, because people feel the pain of cash. But some people are actually better off using credit cards because having the statement makes them feel more accountable. So it's like- Again, there's no one right answer. For some people, it's more healthful to cook. For you, it's more healthful like to stay out of the grocery store and order in. So that's like I, I love that example. But coming to this idea of, and and I mean, there is this tremendous decision fatigue. This is a thing. It's a theme that runs throughout outer order inner calm, which is like needing to decide what to keep. And if you're not keeping it, what to do with it? Do you donate it? Do you recycle it? Right. How do you give it away? And you just were like. So well, I had you no decision fatigue yeah. whatsoever. Well, I want to hear about this friend who did it. Did you pay? That's a big job. Uh, I I did pay, but I also said she could keep oh, okay. and, um, whatever and, she wanted. So she right. kept uh, couches, okay, beds. Okay, good. So it was like she a would great, sell things and, and keep that. Okay. And um, so it was a good. It was a good complimentary. But I definitely had sentimental stuff. Like I had collected various things and all that was either gone or I don't even know what she did with it. Like she hopefully sell some because there were some things that were valuable. But I didn't say anything before or after. I just got rid of everything. And was this tied to anything else that was going on in your life? Like, or was it just the two leases coming up? Or was there something in your life where you're like, I need a fresh start. I need a clean slate. I just, I have to get rid of everything that was related to my life. I don't think I consciously thought of it that way but i had a a big relationship ending uh-huh. and so that you know was sort of part of that I, I guess and so you mentioned you have children what did they think of you doing this it seems to me well, like it, it would be it would be a very uh a, like if, if uh, for a parent to do that might be kind of alarming to a child it could be maybe and maybe i don't understand the effect it had on them like yeah, what did they, they think they, of it at the time they live with their mom so all of their stuff yeah. their main stuff is at their home yeah. but they did see of course their bed being wheeled out by a group of people they didn't or, know and now you didn't uh, have a home like did they feel kind of worried for you or that yeah, like because, you were so dispossessed of everything yeah cuz their parents their friends parents read my stuff uh-huh. So like their friends would come up to them and say, <laughs> "Josie, is your what's your is, dad doing? Is your yeah. daddy homeless? Yeah, like yeah, what's yeah, going yeah, on?" Yeah, yeah. And, and so like, they would visit me at different Airbnbs, yeah. and you know, for them it was a little more fun. Like they would wherever I was staying, they would see what restaurants were near. Sure, sure, sure. You know, it's kind of adventure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they did visit. One, one of them visited once just to make sure I wasn't homeless. And at that time. It was one of the first places I was staying. I was just staying with a friend, and he was out of town, and it was a nice apartment. So it helps to have friends that have nice apartments right, right, too. Right. So they see that process. you're comfortable, and that it's yeah, that it's not sketchy. But, may, but for all I know, maybe I mean it's definitely a different sort of experience for a kid. Maybe it's affected them in ways I don't understand or haven't thought about or didn't care about, which maybe I should have cared about. Uh, but at the time, I saw no other choice. Like sure. I didn't. I had such decision fatigue. Yes. 
that I didn't want to decide anything. I was yes. really burnt out. Yes, and, and just wanted to throw it all away. Yeah, and so I did. And then every, you know, either a few days or a few weeks or a few months, I'd move to a different place. And I wasn't, I'm not much of a traveler. I would mo- yeah. mostly just move around in New York City. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, and every Airbnb has all the things you need, like yeah. towels, Toilet dishes. Toilet paper. Yeah. And, yeah. So, um, what's funny, because I wrote a strange little book um, years ago called Profane Waste, and it's all about why owners choose to destroy their own possessions. So I've actually thought a lot about why people would destroy their own possessions, which is essentially what you did. You didn't yes. actually burn them, which like a lot of people will actually want to torch them. Um, but you 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 cast them off without a backward glance and without any kind of um and it's just very interesting. Um and so how do you feel now about your relationships to objects? Uh, it definitely changed my relationship to objects. Like what I noticed after just a few months of this was that it was, it became very natural to suppress any urge to want anything. Uh-huh. So if I wanted a new book, mm-hmm. I wouldn't go to a bookstore. I would go on the Kindle and see if it was on the Kindle, but I wouldn't, I would suppress the urge to just buy a book or mm-hmm. I would suppress the urge to buy a shirt or, mm-hmm. or a sweater. Mm-hmm. Like I would buy every week, I'd go to Dwayne Reed the, the local drugstore, yeah. and for $14, you could buy three T-shirts. And that's what I would do because I was lazy about washing clothes. So I would just go to Dwayne Reed and buy T-shirts and underwear, and that's it, and then throw out the old and bring in the new. And uh, So it's interesting because this, in a way, is the expensive version. It's not voluntary poverty because you're eating out all the time. You're staying in an Airbnb. You've got a cell phone, you've got a laptop, and you're buying new T-shirts every week. So it's interesting because but it's the T-shirts not... are just fourteen dollars. Right, 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 so... right, right, right. But it's not. But it's 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 it is not an idea of. Um, it's not a minimalism. It, 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 but, but, it's, but it's but it's a kind of it's a kind of pulling back from engaging in stuff. I, I agree. Like uh, at one point, the New York Times did a profile of what I was doing, and I kept saying to them, "Look, a, a homeless person actually yeah. is minimalist. Right. Um, right. This is sort of well, a privileged min- minimalism. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is a choice, which the, makes it even more interesting. The, the, the flip side is, though, I didn't. Let's look at the monetary choices that people do. I didn't have a car, let alone two cars, which is like the average. So that saves however many right. tens of thousands of dollars. Right. And we all that's one of the good parts about New York City. You get to put that in your you get to check that box. Yeah. But but like the average houses in New York City, I don't know what it costs, but um let's let's even say in, in the suburbs of New York City, the average house might be half a million dollars. Um you're putting, you know, two hundred thousand dollars down and then you're paying taxes and maintenance, and yeah. you have to fix things. Mow the so, lawn, and so, so I wouldn't. I didn't have to spend a sure. dime. No, no, no. On I'm that. not saying it's expensive, but it's just it's interesting. It's not like you went into it being like I want to spend ten dollars a day or something like no, that. No, like yeah. I remember when I was out of college, I like try. I I forget what the number was, but it was like I aimed to spend like five dollars a day or something, except on laundry day. And there is something kind of exciting about. Um, really trying to embrace a discipline. Um, and it sounds like that's, uh, but so now, and so now you, you feel like you're that sort of, that's just become second nature to you. So you don't have that impulse to acquire the way you did. Or, Not or as much. The, I'm re- rebuilding that now. Uh-huh. And so I'm kind of giving myself permission that if I like something, it's okay to buy it. Uh-huh. And I'm being okay with that. So, and what do you find yourself most like? Like, what are the first things that come back? Is it books? Is books, it... books are the first thing that came back. Books are the first thing. So, so I'll go out of my way now to go to a bookstore and buy like 10 books uh-huh. just to fill up. 
yes. a bookcase uh, uh, now that I do live in an apartment again. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's that's almost it, mm -hmm. uh, with, with with minor exceptions. What's well, interesting how technology makes it easier because it used to be like it might have been very painful to give up, a, like if you had a big record collection or a big CD collection or, you know, but now it's like you don't need a CD collection. You don't need DVDs. Well, you don't need, you don't need your, cam your, your camera equipment. You but, don't need your, your, you know, everything can be uh, like so many things you can have with you. And, but this gets to your, your point of, you know, do you need it? Do you use it? Do you love yes. it? What do you really need? What do you really use? Yeah. And what do you really love? Like, yes, exactly. I found that I didn't really need, use, or love anything that I owned. Now, mm. love, not true, because I did love some of the things that I threw out, mm -hmm. and I was okay being sad about them. That's the mm -hmm. other thing, too, is that I, you have to be okay yes. being sad and or you at least were, melancholy. And you were like, this is just... Yes, I was definitely is... sad about some things that I had given up, but I was okay with that, like happiness... Right. My you theory embraced was, your decision. Yeah, I didn't have to be happy all the time. Right. Um, but my my other argument was I didn't really need anything because somebody else would supply it. And, and Airbnbs could be expensive or they could be cheap, but they all have everything. Yes, yes. So yes. Uh, you have a bath towel. You have yeah. a yeah, yeah. Um What do you actually is, need? Right, right. Um well, reason not the need, right? Uh, that's like that. There, yes, we we're way past need. Um, yeah, you don't need much. I mean, what does one need? One needs almost nothing. Um, but that's not that. But the common experience of mankind is that we have more than we need. Um, but the thing, but the fact is, if you don't need it and you don't use it and you don't love it, it doesn't fit any three of those things. Then it's really like what what purpose is it serving? That is the mystery cord that's in the that's in the corner of the cupboard where nobody knows what it is. You know, it's that kind of thing. Or, but I or feel the like, two garlic presses. Nobody needs it. Nobody uses it. Nobody loves it. Why do we have it? But I feel like it's too hard a decision. Like decision fatigue is a real thing. It like, is. Yes. Like it is. that's a real stress. Uh, and by the way, the regrets you mentioned also, like, oh, if you buy a guitar because you're going to take guitar lessons and then you never take guitar lessons, that's also a real thing, like seeing your regrets just littered yeah. all around the house. Yeah. Um, but but the decision fatigue part, it was, I, I had read the Marie Kondo book, for instance, before um, throwing out everything. And, you know, she says in there, oh, hold something close. And if you feel like you love it, then keep it. Spark joy. Yeah. yeah. I didn't want to um, do that. Yes. <laughs> Like right. that seemed like seemed too hard. Yeah, it's very hard, and yeah. and 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 I, I I and then I would question like, well, why do I love just an object? Well, that's interesting. So there was this interesting um, study um, done by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, if I've got his name correctly, the guy famous for flow, and they did this interesting um, study in London, and they were asking people about the objects that were important to them. So they would ask them, "What's important to you, and why?" And so people would say, "Well, this is this was my father's chair, or whatever." And there were a certain group of people who said, things are not important to me. People are important, but things are not important. And they said, well, that sounded very convincing, except that when they looked at the actual people, what they found is that the people who gave that answer were the ones who were the most detached and isolated. And that actually people who are highly engaged with other people tend to embody those relationships in possessions. And so that's part of the decision fatigue. It's like these possessions are more than possessions. My grandfather's clock does represent my grandfather to me. And to get rid of that clock, I have to face the fact that it was important to my grandfather. In my mind, it's connected to my grandfather. Can I let go of this clock? 
Like, do I have something that, like, what am I going to do with that? And that is tiring. That is very tiring. But I think it's important. Right, because you have hundreds of things like that. Well, I don't, actually. See, that was one of the things. I have three things that remind me of my grandparents. I have, for for whatever reason, I have my grandfather's clock. He collected clocks. Oh, and I also have his, to- his stopwatch. He was a railroad engineer. So his his... Stop his, like, pocket watch was super, super, super important. That's a beautiful object, so that's just, like, a decorative object. Then I had this, like, weird china flamingo that, when I was little, I just loved. And so, and and then this carnival glass, which I've never seen anywhere but in my grandparents' house, which is, like, this weird glass um, plate. And when my grandparents died, they said, what do you want? And I'm like, I want the plate, I want the flamingo. And uh, and they were like, okay, take a clock. And um, And I'm like... Those are all the things that I have of my grandparents. That's all that I need. Do I need all of them? I don't need all of them, but they all do remind me of my childhood. They bring back the look of my grandparents' house. They're small enough that they're easy to store. It's not my grandfather's desk. It's not my grandmother's lounge chair. Um, these are things that like can I can just keep very easily. And yet I do feel like if I didn't have them, my life would be less rich because they do... They do bring back a time and a place and those people for me. So, so, but that's an interesting phrase. Your your life would be less rich. So let's yep. say, let's say someone came in today to your apartment and stole those things, and you went back and you saw that they were gone, and of course you would be sad and and horrified, and you know you were robbed, and this was not, <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that, that. who's going to take my flamingo? <laughs> yeah, but okay, somebody did. Yeah, and, and <laughs> presumably you would have the resources to internally to bounce back and yes. have an equally rich life. Yes, I would. So, 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 Is why it not equally do that? rich? It's not equally rich. It's rich. It, okay, it's it's rich. Maybe the texture is a little different. Like yeah, the it's hard to compare. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So, so. Uh, what, I, I'm just I'm playing devil's advocate, but I, I'm not necessarily disagreeing. I I like, you, like I said, I was sad when when certain things were yeah. gone. I would have been happy to to have kept certain but things. You just were at a point where you yeah. wanted to just wipe it away. Yeah, but but totally I don't I don't necessarily think my life is any less as a result. It's just I have different set of feelings as a result, sure. uh, and a different set of disciplines even as a result yeah, because sure. the, the whole process gave me a, a discipline, but. Uh, again, um, you know, I, I guess what you're saying is, look, if you, if it meets these qualifications, need, use, love, then the richness in life compensates for keeping it. And that's how you balance it out. Well, because I don't, I think people want to end up in very different places. Like some people really want to be minimal and they want to have as little as possible. And I think, and those are simplicity lovers too often. Um, But then some people are abundance lovers and they want collections and profusion and choice. And they like having a lot of things around. And I don't think that one's better and one's worse. I just think that people like different, uh, different um, levels of possessions. It sounded like, it sounds like you were in a place where you were so burned out and so overwhelmed by ownership that you just had to throw everything away. That's an extreme situation. Like, I don't think I've ever approached that. I don't feel like my possessions are like, are such a, are such, and, and like, I only have the one place. So it's like that, that scene from, um, what's the movie, uh, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, where he says, I just want the one key. I have the key to my car. I don't want an apartment. I don't want anything else. I just want the one key. Wait, which uh, actor said that? Um, William Hurt, right? Okay, I don't Okay, know. the guy who plays the friend, the the interloper friend. Isn't that James Spader? James Spader. Yeah. That's right, James Spader, James Spader. Well done, yeah. So, so oh, we've got to go watch that movie right now. It's such a good movie. 
I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a story after the podcast. Okay. Okay. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Just want the one key. Um, but I and so I think sometimes, like for me, it's interesting. Like when we were moving, we had to have a storage unit for some of our furniture, and I thought that like it was like Voldemort, like you know when Harry's soul was split. I, I like I hated hated the feeling of a storage unit. I felt like I did not like the stuff in the kind of a satellite position. I have a friend who has got. He's, she's got stuff in storage units in four states. I'm like, I couldn't bear that. And so I completely can kind of identify with your feeling of like feeling too scattered and things just pulling apart and being overwhelming. But I, I don't have that feeling now. And so I feel like I can handle the carnival glass and the flamingo and the clock. Uh, but, um, and so I think for all of us, we sort of are, we feel we're, we're, we have different aptitudes and affinities and also different levels imposed on us by our life. I mean, like for some people, if you have five kids, it's like no matter what you do, that's a lot going on. That's a lot of stuff to manage. And I think for a lot of people, that's very, very overwhelming. Um, some people might thrive in that. Many people would find it very, you know, various levels of distressing while they're kind of in the, the season of stuff that would come from a big family like that. Um, but yeah, but people are different in how much they how much they want and how much they can kind of stand. But know? but but how do you like the decision fatigue is 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 hard. Like let's say um, I'm I two years ago I wanted to take guitar lessons, so I bought a guitar and now it's sitting at the bottom of my closet. When I'm actually looking at the guitar, I could say to myself, "Oh yeah, I would really love to play the guitar. I should really try again to play the guitar." Yeah. The decision of fatigue could be overwhelming. Yeah. That, that well, I can't decide to get rid of this guitar because of the combination of the regret and maybe I do love learning the guitar, but I'm never going to actually have the right. time to do it. Well, that's the fantasy self. The fantasy self is the James who's going to learn to play guitar. But we know that that fantasy is not real because you've had the guitar for two years. So what you could do, if you felt like I can't let go of it, you could say, I'm going to give myself a month. And if I if I really take an action to towards playing guitar, then I will keep it. And if I haven't really done it, then I won't. And you won't, probably, and then you can get rid of it because well, you've given yourself sort of a deadline. What do you think of this idea, which is kind of like in between almost the different techniques, which is put everything away, or, mm -hmm. or let's just let's just like, hypothetically call it storage in quotes. Right, right. Put, put everything in storage yeah. for a month or mm -hmm. two months, and whatever you don't pull mm -hmm. out in those two months is what you throw away. That's a great. So the way, that's a great adaptation of an idea I've heard many times, which is like, when I talk about in the book, a mystery box where it's like, if there's chords or you know, there's things where you're like, is this important or not? I can't really tell. Like it's a remote control device. Like does it go to anything I actually use? Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. I can't tell. Um, and then it's like, don't open the box. But if you haven't gone in to get something out of the box, you can just sort of, you can just get rid of it in a, in a year because you know, or six months or whatever the deadline is. But I like your way better, which is like have a whole room and just put everything in there that you have any question about. And if you haven't retrieved it, then you know. So it's like it's not even a mystery box; it's a mystery whole room. I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, I think for a lot of people, they kind of know. They just they're like, okay, I'm not going to finish that project. You know, it's just like it seemed like it would be fun, but I'm really just not. Um, what were some of the surprising things that you threw out when you were going through your, you know, 
I'm assuming right. this book was triggered by you going yeah. through a, a yeah. cleaning period. Yes, yes. What, what did trigger uh, this book? Well, one thing that was funny is, so my daughter, I have a daughter who's even way more relentless than I am. And so she, and I have a very tiny office. It was once a water tower in New York City and it's been converted and it was converted into a storage room and then I converted it into my office. So it's small. And I thought it was pretty clutter-free because partly because it's small and I, you know, and I'm, I'm not so cluttery, but I brought Eleanor in there to see if there was anything else to get rid of. And she got, we got rid of three giant bags of stuff, some to be given away and some to be tossed and recycled. And, um, and I was astonished by how much she was able to identify. And I realized one of my problems is things that are perfectly good. So, like, I was part of an organization where, and this was very wasteful, and I talked to them about it, but they kept doing it. They would, every, every time we had a meeting, they would send, like, this little, uh, like, a very nice one-inch binder, you know, like one of those hard binders, and it would have tabs in it. You know, it was a very nice binder, and so I would take all the materials out, and I would keep the binder, because I'm like, this is a perfectly good binder. Maybe I'll need a binder. Well, what I hadn't realized is I had, like, 13 of them, just, like, lined up. And she was like, when do you ever use a binder? And I'm like, well, I haven't used a binder in a long time, but maybe I would use a binder. She's like, okay, you can keep one binder. Give the rest of the binders away because you don't need it. But they were perfectly good. And I had just gotten in the habit of being like, oh, I'll just keep this and then maybe I'll use it. And so, and, I, and that's what I, and I talk about this in the book about the stockpile. It's very easy to stockpile things because you're like, oh, I, who knows when I'm going to need a glass jar? Oh, I'll keep this ketchup, you know? And it's like, okay, you got like a thousand glass jars. And I think people don't realize how much stuff like that they have. Yes. Like how many binder decisions no. they've made. Yes. Because when I was throwing out all my stuff, I thought my, my friend, her name's Lisa, I thought Lisa was going to take one day in her car. Just, oh. you know, shipping everything out. It turned out like she had to rent an 18-wheeler for a week and bring her cousins, nephews, husband, wow. like everybody for a week. Yes. And every day, uh, all day, yes. cleaning out my stuff because nobody, I think people don't realize you how don't. much stuff they have. They don't. Well, this is what everybody says is that one of the best ways to clear clutter is to move. And that people, especially people who have moved like several times within five or ten years, um, or like you, if they get rid of everything all at once, um, there's a, the, you just, because when you have to like confront it and decide like, do I want to actually pay for a box to put it in, pay to move it, and then figure out what to do with it at the other end. A lot of times things just don't make that, don't make that cut. Where if I'm, I'm like, oh, I've got 13 binders just sitting on a shelf behind my chair, I don't think anything of it. But if I was confronting them and being like, am I going to fill up an entire box with these binders? I was like, no, I don't need these binders. Um, because I think you're right. People don't realize how much it mounts up. Like how much, like one bookshelf of books, it seems like, you know, a thousand boxes full so, of books. So, so your daughter, Eleanor, did this with your 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 tiny office and took yeah. out three yes. garbage bags full yes. of stuff. What yeah. happened when you eventually spread to the whole place? I just found more and more and more stuff. And it's funny because, I, and I also feel like one of the things I've noticed for sure with myself is there's sort of layers. Like you will, you think you've gone through a layer and then you'll go through again and then you'll go through again and you'll see more and more and more things that need to come out. I mean- What do you mean by a layer? Oh, like a layer is, okay, maybe you go through, like you have a linen closet and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to get rid of all the towels that have holes in them. So you get rid of the towel and then you're like, that's great. And then you're like, but wait, you know what? I have like- all these sets of sheets, but we don't really we don't really have any beds this size anymore. It's like a junior size. So we can give these sheets away. You know, like even though they're perfectly good, we don't actually use a junior bed anymore. And then you get rid of that. And then like a couple days later, you're like, but I hate that blanket. It's so scratchy. Nobody, everybody refuses to use that blanket. And then you're like, okay, we get rid of the blanket. And then you're like, oh, I hate these like beach towels. Like they have this like ugly pattern on them. And we never use beach towels. It's like, okay, now get rid of the beach towels. 
somehow it kind of you 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 have to make often need to make several passes through. And I often am begging my friends to help me let them help help them clear clutter because I love it's like you get the contact high of seeing the clutter, the outer order emerge, but it's none of the decision fatigue or the emotional fatigue. It's a lot easier when it's somebody else's stuff. And um, what I'll say, like people will go through things. They often are like, don't make me give away too much. And I'll say like, no, 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 this is just, I'm not going to push you anything that you're not comfortable with. So we'll go through it and we'll do the whole thing. And they'll be like, okay, I'm done with my closet. And I'm like, now let's go back. Let's start at the beginning. And I'm just going to like, let's just look at everything again. And they will get rid of like a whole other wave of things. You sort of have to loosen your grip. Um, and you'll see that with something like books. Like, you're like, I'm going to get rid of all the books that are, like, duplicates or that I really don't ever want to read again. And then you go back and you're like, eh, but that one's falling apart. Every time I open it up, the pages fall out. I'm going to, that's just trash. Or that one I'm never really going to reread. I didn't, I didn't finish it the first time. Or, you know, this one's out of date. Um, you know, it's a policy book that's out of date now. I'm not going to reread that. Um, but sometimes you have to go through a couple times. And it's definitely happened to me with my house. And did, when you were done, were you happier? Oh, my gosh. I just love it. Yes. I, like, walk by the, I have this one cabinet. It's the cabinet where we had, like, old DVDs and just, like, a mishmash cabinet. And it wasn't that crowded, but it was. But now it has th- three of the shelves are empty, just, like, absolutely empty shelves. And I just, like, I love an empty shelf. And I'll just go, I'll just open up the cabinet door and be like, look, there are my empty shelves. And then there's like a couple things. My, my sister wrote on the, the TV show, The Shield. So I have a box set of the CDs, which is almost more like a, um, like a, it's a, it's a sentimental item more than something that I would actually use. But I would actually watch the CDs too. And that's on a shelf. And then some, and then all, as some copies of um, Outer Order, Inner Calm. You know, when a book comes out, as you know, they mm-hmm. send you a whole bunch of copies so that you can give them away over the coming years. So I have my copies there, and then I've got the, a bunch of empty shelves. That 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 hurt me also when um, I had a, a whole cabinet, like like it was like the James cabinet. It was all my books in translation, and and, and all my translations yes. of all the books. That is fun. And and uh, but I don't have that anymore. I right. don't have any yeah. of them. Yeah, you don't have like the Korean version of no. yeah. Um, and I had you know choose yourself or a, a, a twenty books almost. So there yeah. was lots of different yeah. different things, and I was proud of that cabinet, but that that was gone. What's funny too, um, I think people don't realize is that you have to buy your book. Like it's almost like people feel like you just kind of have your own supply, and it's so yeah. Like so now, if you want a, a copy of your book, you'll have to go buy it. Yeah, um, I don't even know what languages my books are yeah, in now. Yeah, no, right. Well. Um, uh, yeah, that is that. Yeah, I could see how that would be. Um. You know, one thing you mentioned in in the book, which I think is really interesting, is the relationship between time and money. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people do, uh, underestimate the fact that, um, you know, either either time can buy money, so mm-hmm. like you put in the hours and you get paid for it, or money can buy time. Yeah. So you can pay, for instance, more money to live closer to your job, so yes. your commutes less, so you can yeah. have more time. Yeah. Is, is a classic example. Right. Right. Uh, uh, and and you point out that it's very valuable to, you, you know, there's a cliche, money you can never, uh, oh, you know, money you can always get back, but t- not even one second of time you can get back. Right. So time is obviously more valuable right. than money. But what are some examples where you've used, you know, you, you, you've kind of um, heightened your time rather than things? Right. Well, this is a really important point, and um, what you're saying is something that research— there's been a lot of research on this recently, and a lot of people saying that it's really a mistake that people make is not thinking about how they should—how they would be better off using money to buy time. 
Um, my favorite example, and I think it's in this book, well, my favorite example was a couple where they fought all the time about household chores. Because, you know, it's very, I, I don't, I fortunately am not in this position. My husband and I are very similarly matched in terms of how much outer order we want to live in, which is great. But often there's a real difference in, or, or what people value. Like some people really hate dishes in the sink and other people hate, you know, like toys on the floor or whatever. So it's this common source of conflict. And so this couple had been, they were going to go to marriage counseling to art because you do this, you don't do that, you never help, it's no fair, I do all the work, you just sit by, blah, 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 blah. So they're going to go to marriage counseling. And then they thought, no, we'll use the money for a house cleaning service. Now their problem is solved. Oh, yeah, because like, let's say a, a marriage counselor yeah. might be whatever it is, $100 of an course. hour. Yes. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> Four hours of house cleaning service. And with the marriage counselor, you got to go to the marriage counselor. It's like, we got to what? You know, I mean, it's like you're getting all the time back. Yes. And so I was like, okay, that is a really, like, the one thing you want to get out of is conflict. You know, so can you, can you, if you can afford it, can you, th can you throw money at a problem? What, um, like, what, oh, or like doing laundry, you know, or there's a, somebody just emailed me like last week saying, that the greatest thing that she had done in 2018 was realizing that she should pay to get her laundry done because one of the, because it is a big drain doing repetitive boring chores is something that really drains people and so if you can if you can afford it it's a, it is a really good it's a big happiness booster and one of the, the example that you gave is one of the best ones i think which is can you make it easier and more convenient to go someplace so um, partly like commutes. Commutes are something that's a big drain on people's happiness. So that's something to think about using money to. And it and that talk about something that just adds to the clutter of your life. It's like a long commute. Um, and then also things like, and I wrote about this in Better Than Before, to a comic degree, we are much more likely to do things if they're even slightly more convenient and much less likely to do things if they're even slightly more inconvenient. So doing something like choosing a gym that's a little bit more expensive but is right across the street from your office makes it far more likely you will go to the gym. And so that's a good place to spend money if you want to exercise. What well, what other things? Um, one other things. Um, well, one thing is, and this is, so one of the distinctions um, that I've observed is overbuyers and underbuyers. So underbuyers are people who don't like to buy and they want to avoid shopping and they don't like doing errands, things like that. Overbuyers really, they will shop, they will buy, they often feel like they have a lot of errands. And so one thing that you can say as an overbuyer is if you feel like you are pressed for time or like you have too much to do, you have too many errands to do, you've got too much stuff to manage, like you've got, you know, 50 rolls of, uh, you know, paper towels or you've got, or like overbuyers over will do things like, this would make a great gift for somebody. So I'm going to buy it even though I don't really have anybody in mind, but it's just good to have a gift. But then it's like in your house and you have to manage it. So one thing overbuyers can, man can remind themselves is they can store it at the store. I'm going to store that at the store, so I don't need to spend my time or my money or my energy getting that now. I'm just going to leave it at the store, and then if I want it, I can go get it from the store. And so a lot of times that will release that. Like, they have, they often will feel like they need to run around and buy a billion things, like, before they go on a trip. And it's like, you know, do you need any of that stuff? You don't need that stuff. See, I always figured, and this was, I perfected this during my <clears throat> Airbnb phase, is that I could buy anything at the other end of the trip. Yes, yes. So, like, if I needed yes. a T-shirt yes. in L.A., yeah. I would just buy a T-shirt in L.A. instead of buying it here and taking it to L.A. Well, you, yeah, it, and it's funny because I didn't write about this in the book. It just occurred to me like yesterday as I was looking at some clutter. I was realizing that a lot of clutter in um, our, at least my apartment, our apartment, came from 
like preparatory purchases. So like I just gave away a bunch of tools. Um, really, really, really good tools that we never used because because when my husband and I were first dating as a gift, I thought, oh, this would be, or maybe we were moving to our first apartment. So as a birthday present, I got him a, I got him a, um, like a, a toolbox and filled it, filled it full of like all these useful tools. Well, he's not very handy. So he doesn't really use these tools. So like we use the hammer, we use the level, we use the tape measure, like, but he's not using the drill, like, you know, um, but and yet we've had these things forever. And you're exactly right. What I should have said is, if we need a drill, we'll go buy a drill. If we need a hammer, we'll go buy a hammer. Let's not buy the hammer now because let's get it at the other end because we may never get to the point where we would need it. And of course, we never did need a lot of these tools. And so, I, you know, I gave them away to somebody who's very, who uses tools all the time and was very happy to have them. But I was like, we've had these for years and years and years and years and never used them. Why is it only occurring to me now to get rid of them? But I should, same thing when you register. I don't think people register the same way that they used to, but it used to be people would register and you'd you'd get everything that you could ever possibly imagine yourself using. It's like, and a huge per percentage of those things never got used because it's like, oh, it turns out I don't need a gravy boat or I don't need a, you know, crystal, uh, I don't, you know, punch bowl or whatever it is. You know, people have the funniest things. And they're like, oh, yeah, I never use this fondue set. And it's like, some people use a fondue set all the time. But if it's if you're not the fondue type, get rid of the fondue set. I don't, I don't have a fondue I set. I do not have a fondue <laughs> set. But my sister and brother-in-law have a fondue set, and they use it They use it at least once a year. I think I think the closet stuff is is classic. I think people should probably you met, you talk quite a bit about the closet, and I think yeah. that's the classic place to start. Yes, just throw out everything that doesn't fit. Yeah. In my view, is throw out everything you bought like more than a year ago mm. that you haven't worn in a in a few weeks or whatever. Uh, it seems like that's the easiest. Even now, when I'm uh, in in a, let's call it accumulation mode mm -hmm. i'll still <laughs> every every few every month or so i'll go through and just throw out everything that i know i'm not going to wear ever again mm -hmm. uh, or i i bought it and i didn't like it and it's just hanging up and there's no reason to throw it out but i'll still throw it out well here's a funny easy tip um and i'm amazed at how often because i do force myself on my friends the first thing i say is let's go through and get rid of all the extra hangers Mm. And most people have an insane number of extra hangers. And you just take out the extra hangers, and all of a sudden there's all this space. And it's like a magic trick. I mean, like, it, I was just at a friend's so who like, has a one-bedroom on the Upper West Side. But he had this really, really big coat closet in his front hall. And I was like, this is, this is amazing. This is such a luxury. And I'm like, but let's get rid of all, like, the nasty wire hangers that are, like, left over from the dry cleaners. We're, like, pulling them out and pulling them out. I mean, there's just, like, dozens on the floor. And then all of a sudden he has all this extra space. And he's like... That's amazing. I was like, that is the low-hanging fruit. You know, and, and a lot of people have lots and lots of extra hangers. But like you say, if you manage the clothes that you actually wear and use, you don't need lots of extra. Maybe maybe four or five extra hangers just so that you're not always, like, looking for every single hanger so you have a little bit of margin. But, yeah, that's that's my easiest tip for closets. Um, let me see. I have all these, I have all these pages bookmarked. Oh, I, like, um, I like seeing what people mark. Uh, I, I, I bookmarked this one. Oh, oh, things. Okay. Actually all three things on this page. You, first off, the book is really n nicely structured because you could kind of start anywhere yeah. and there's different <laughs> ideas and things to think about on each page. But this page has, uh, beware of buying souvenirs, mm -hmm. which I think is really interesting because they're good for memories, but do you really, are you ever going to use the souvenir for anything? 
Well, unless it's like really like a like an antique or or, or, or a valuable. Well, and that, and I don't say don't buy souvenirs. I just say beware of souvenirs because a lot of times people like you're in a new place and everything looks sort of interesting and enticing, and then but then when you get it home and it's just like on its own, it just like it doesn't have its magic. Now sometimes you have something that really kind of you're like, oh, that's Paris for me, um, and that's wonderful. But a lot of times the things that people have kind of fall apart in their hands. You know, like, it does, they don't really act like good souvenirs. Often, um, I think souvenirs, are, they're also better if they're small and easy to store. So things like maybe a postcard from a museum, it's like that's easy to have around. There's, like, a lot of cool things that people do with postcards. Or something like spices, where you're like, ooh, like, I went to Morocco, and I brought back this spice, and I'm going to make all these Moroccan dishes and use this spice, and it's super fun. Um, and that's kind of an, an experience and a thing. And then you kind of use it up. And so it's not something that's just like sitting on a shelf forever. Um, but sometimes people really get carried away with souvenirs and then they feel, and then it's also one of these things where they feel like it's hard to get, it's hard to let go of it because it feels like it embodies a memory. But it's like, well, but you, you took pictures probably. And I also sort know. of feel like if it's worth remembering, I'll remember it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I don't need to buy something mm-hmm. to remember it if it's worth remembering. Right. I don't need to trigger the memory. If I need if I needed to trigger the memory, I might as well just let the memory go. <laughs> but sometimes we do like to have things like oh, this is my shelf that's Maine and like this reminds me of all the things I love about Maine or like this is my trip. This is my or like my sister had this like kind of ugly mug and I was like, can we get rid of this ugly mug? And she's like, no, because it was like said like Jacksonville, Florida on it or something. And I, she's like, no, I bought that mug on the last trip I took with my friend before he died. And so it was like, it really did have a lot of meaning for her, you know? And so, um, so I wouldn't say never, but I would just say beware and think about what you're buying and why you're buying it. Sometimes people just like, it's just part of an activity. It's like part of what some people like to do when they're traveling is shop. Um... So just, like, think about what you're buying and whether you're going to want it when you get home. Then you say things often get messier before they get tidier. Yes, yes, yes. This is one of the— So that I didn't experience. I I don't know what that means. Oh, okay. Well, it just means, like, if you you are pulling everything out of a closet to figure out what you're going to try on, it's like you can create a big mess. Or, like, often when I go over to a friend's house to help them clean, I'm like, it is going to get really, really messy because we're going to pull everything out— and you're going to be like, oh, well, there's that box, but I think I have the lid, but let's leave it here because I need, I want to see if I find the lid because if I don't have the lid, then I don't want to keep it. Or, oh, this is part, this is a, this is a set of napkin rings that I really love, but I think that we accidentally put the other half away over here. So, like, things have are out because they need to be sorted and put in their proper places, and so it can get really, really messy. Now, this is where Marie Kondo, Marie Kondo's method is you take everything in a category out. Like, you take every book in your house and make a big pile, or you take all your clothes and make a big pile. So that method really makes things messier before they get tidier. So um, it's just something to be aware of. And if you kind of can't bear that, I do have a lot of uh, uh, suggestions for people who want to do just like one shelf in a medicine cabinet. And they're like, I just want to do one drawer. I don't I, I want like to one I don't shelf wanna, at a time method. Yeah, I don't want to, like people are like, I don't want to create a big mess. I don't want to tackle a lot at one time. I just want to do a little bit each day. And you you can get a ton done if you just do a little bit each day. One one shelf in the medicine cabinet, that's all you have to do. And then your next page uh, is identify the problem. Yeah, I mean, what what is the problem? Um, like, so for instance, for me, uh, one issue in my household, and I was like the worst uh, violator of this, was um, throwing coats just like on a chair, even on the floor, rather than putting them in the closet. 
And um, I realized that the problem was uh, I don't like to use hangers. Um, it's just, call me lazy, but it's just a little bit too much work to use a hanger. But I realized I could use hooks. So I put hooks in our closet doors, and now I always hang up my coat on a hook. So the problem was I didn't want to use hangers. Hangers are hard work. Hangers are hard work. And it requires After long dexterity. days of nothing. Uh, yeah, no. So I'm like, the hook, the hook did the, the hook was all I needed. Or like if you keep using losing your keys, a lot of times if you just have a place where the keys always go. Or new solution, the tech solution is use the Tile app. A lot of people have told me that for people who lose their keys a lot, this is an app where you can use your phone to find your keys. A lot of people find that's a great oh, solution. Oh, really? What do you do? Do you put like a, a thing on the key, like yeah. an RFID yeah. chip or something? Yeah, yeah. This is great because one of the real principles that I believe in is don't try to change yourself, change your environment. So... Like, if you've got somebody who just refuses to put keys in a key bowl, and some people are like this, they just will not put their keys in the key bowl, and, and, and then you spend all this time looking for keys, say, like, well, what's another solution? Don't think, like, oh, I'm going to change this person because it's very hard to change a person, but, like, there's a solution for that. And yet you put this thing on their keys, and then you just you just tap it, and it rings, and you go find the keys, and so, so this is a good solution. This reminds me of my uh, grocery store solution, which is that, like, I can't, change myself. If I go yeah. to a grocery store, I feel this enormous urge to buy all the yeah, yeah, chips yeah, yeah, in the right, store. Right, right. So you just so, stay so I just So I just don't go to yes. the grocery store and yes. then that stopped snacking yes. for me. Yes. That's so. a great solution. Yeah. If you don't want to buy something, don't go in. You know, that is, that's a great, well, in another way, because um, one pay, one, the best way to clear clutter is not to buy it in the first place. So you just never acquire it. So you never, you know, you never take the freebie, you never take the swag, you never accept the hand-me-down. Um, and one thing, if you are an impulse shopper online, what a lot of people do, it works for a lot of people, is you delete your accounts so that you always have to shop as a guest. Mm. And it's just, a, it's not a huge nuisance to enter in all that for information, but it's a little bit of a nuisance. And for a lot of people who are impulse shoppers, just a little bit of inconvenience is enough to get them to pause, to think like, do I really want to buy this? Or, yeah, it just seems like too much trouble. Especially if it's something like late at night. Um, which, as you pointed out earlier, is a time when a lot of people get up to mischief because they're sort of worn down from the day. You know, you might have enough energy to, like, look around online, pick something, and buy it with one click. But if you have to be like, oh, i got to look up my credit card number, and what's the what's the security code again? And, oh, i got to type up my whole address. It's like, oh, I'm too tired. Yeah, no, it, uh, that works for me very well as well. Like, I, don't, I never set up accounts mm -hmm. anywhere. Oh, right. So, so you have to, yeah. have to always enter. But uh, what's so? So now you've done you've done all these studies of happiness, or or I shouldn't say studies, I should say internal studies. You've been the subject, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. from from observation. The Happiness Project, ha Happier at Home, um, your book on habits. This one, Outer Order, Inner Calm. Uh, what's what is there? Do you feel like there's an overarching conclusion, like mm -hmm. kind of this yeah, direct yeah. general yeah. direction of happiness that you've been going? You know, if there's one because yeah, I think all these books are really about human nature, which is all my books. I think are are um, about human nature in some way. And I think the one thing that I've really come to believe more and more with every book that I write is that there really is no magic answer. There's no one size fits all solution. You can't. No one can say this is what you should do. This is the way to do it. What you got to do is this. And be able to tell you because it's like you're a morning person, I'm a night person. You're a simplicity lover, I'm an abundance lover. You're a finisher, I'm an opener. I'm an abstainer, you're a moderator. There's, I'm a sprinter, you're a marathoner. There's all these people just are different. And what works for one person often doesn't work for another person. 
And I think sometimes people feel bad about it. They get frustrated. Um, they feel like they should be able to do something or they should be able to do something in a different way. And I'm like, there's a lot of ways for all of us to achieve our aims in happiness. And um, it's really just a matter of figuring out what works for you. And there's a, just a lot of ways to do that. And But this idea that somebody can figure it out and tell you the best way, it's just like there, is, there, there can be no best way what, because people are different. What's the general goal? Like you see a lot of people they have as a goal, like, okay, I'm going to achieve X and then I'm going to be happy when I achieve X. And so they work really, really hard and they achieve it or they get close to it. And it's just stressing them out whether they're going to get X or, you know, whether it's success or money or, or, or a type of relationship. Like at some point, when do you just rest and say, mm. uh, okay, I don't mm -hmm. need to do, mm -hmm. I'm not going to go on that trip. I'm not mm -hmm. going to try to make this more money. I'm not going to try mm -hmm. to... I don't know, get this project done that I was going to get done. Mm -hmm. When you just rest and watch TV, like mm -hmm. watching TV is mm -hmm. fun. Well, you know, I think you brought up one of the central tensions within happiness. Um, and it's it's something that, again, we all have to be deciding all the time for ourselves, which is on the one hand, we want to accept ourselves. And on the other hand, we want to expect more from ourselves. So sometimes we want to accept ourselves and we want to just say like, this is who I am. This is what I want. Um, this is what makes me feel good right now. This is what, you know, this is just, this is the natural limitation of my nature. And then sometimes we can say, well, I can expect more for myself. I can push myself. I can, uh, I can go outside my comfort zone. Um, I can, uh, get myself to do things that make me feel uncomfortable. I can, uh, forego something today because I want something else tomorrow. And I think for each of us, it's a balance. You want to accept yourself and you want to expect more from yourself. And I think for each person, it's different. You don't know what for one person, public speaking should be something that they should push themselves to do. And for someone else, they'd be like, you know what, That's I'm just never going to do public speaking. It's just, I'm going to worry about other things. I'm not going to worry about that. Well, what, what do you push yourself that takes you out of your comfort zone? Um, well, right now I'm trying to learn to play the ukulele. I am very, very unmusical, but I did an interview on the Happier podcast with Roz Chast, you know, the brilliant, brilliant cartoonist and um, writer. And she gave this like impassioned explanation for like how much she loves the ukulele. And I got so excited. I was like, uh, so I bought both my daughters a ukulele. They had no interest in playing the ukulele. And then I thought, I'm going to learn how to like play at least one or two songs. Did you play the guitar? Huh? Do you play the guitar? When I was in like when I was in middle school, I took guitar lessons, so I don't remember anything about it. But I but I like I had done a stringed instrument way in the past. Um, but I'm, I'm I'm super unmusical. Like I'm not interested in music. I don't I don't really listen to music. Like I'm just not a person who's that into music. Um, and so I could say accept myself, don't do music. But for some reason, I was just like kind of enchanted with this idea of the ukulele. Well, so I got the ukulele, and then it's like it turns out that just tuning it, which I have to say, I didn't, I'd kind of forgotten about the fact you have to tune stringed instruments. And like, it was super frustrating. And I was like, I'm not even playing, I'm not even trying to play the ukulele. I cannot even tune the darn thing. And I'm already incredibly frustrated. Should I stop? I thought it would be fun to play the ukulele. It turns out it's harder than I thought. I'm kind of frustrated. I feel dumb. I feel like kind of cheated because. Everybody was saying the ukulele is so easy. Well, so far it's not easy. So do I accept myself and be like, Gretchen, you're not interested in music. What do you care about the ukulele? Move on. Or do I say, okay, Gretchen, I think you can learn to tune on a ukulele. You can YouTube that and maybe like figure it out. Um, what do I do? Accept myself or expect more from myself. 
And I don't want to say accept myself always means like settling or like not trying. Because I think sometimes accepting yourself is the right thing to do and to say like, well, this is the kind of natural limitations of my nature. I would say I can learn to play a song in the ukulele and I will do that. But on the other hand, I don't expect myself to like buy season tickets to the symphony. Because I'm like, that's just not Gretchen. Gretchen is not going to want to go to the season tickets or the symphony. So I'm not even going to feel bad about the fact that here I am in New York City. There's all this amazing music. There's opera. There's jazz. There's this. There's that. And I ignore all of it and don't take advantage of any of it because that's just Gretchen. Gretchen's not into music. And what other? what's another comfort zone thing that you push yourself that where you not it's not necessarily happy at first, but well, it might one thing is well, um, live shows. I know you are a bit, you do a lot of live performance. Um, so, but, my, but I hate you know, going to every other kind of show. You do, yeah. Interesting. Well, my sister and I are going to do um, we're going to do a podcast live tour for our podcast, and that's like a whole new. I do a lot of public speaking, but this is like this is a whole different way of engaging with an audience. It's a whole different. It's a, more of a performance than just a talk. It's we have done it twice before, so I have sort of an idea what it's like, but um, this is, like, going to be much more intense. We're going to do, like, three in a row. Um, and that's something where I'm like, okay, um, and th this is where it's sometimes good to work with somebody else because my sister, Elizabeth, really wants to do it, and so she's really been kind of, she keeps sort of pushing the ball forward. It, whereas I think for me, I w it's not like I wouldn't have articulated that, like, this would be a good idea, but I wouldn't have pursued it with the kind of um, persistence that was necessary to actually get us to the point where we are now. Um, but it's going to, we're, we're having to do a lot to get ready for it and like. Is it in other cities? Yeah, it's going to be in other cities. What cities? Uh, Milwaukee, Minneapolis, uh, New York City, and what's the, what's the fourth one? Can't remember the fourth one. Because we had one that, like, it was going to be Detroit, but then Detroit fell through. I forget what the fourth one is. I should know. Um, again, it's sort of like, okay, I got to get ready for this thing. Um, yeah, so um, and I got a book that's got to come out first. So I have a lot I have a lot of things in order. But but that's something where I'm like, it would be easy to just be like, we've, we, we both have a lot going on. Let's not ask this of ourselves. Um, and But we really do want to expect more from ourselves. But sometimes things just are not, they're just not the right thing for you. They're just not the right aim. They, this is not a good fit. Or like people, here's a good example. I had a friend who, because there really are morning people and night people. This is, a, it's largely genetically determined and this is a function of age, but it's like a real thing. And I had a friend who I had known since college and he's just such a, he's been a night person all, you know, to this day, he can barely get out of work, get to work on time, you know. Um, and he looked me in the eye and he said, my New Year's resolution is to get up early and go for a run before work every day. And I was like, no, you're not. I mean, I like, I, I, I don't want to be mean, but no, you won't. Like, that's not the right thing. Accept yourself. You're a night person. If you want to go for a run, you want to get exercise, do it later in the day when you're more high energy. Like, this is not the right aim for you. This is not the right. It's a good aim, which is to get to get more exercise, to get more fit. But the way to do this, accept yourself. You're a night person. This isn't going to work for you. You're not going to stick to it. Accept why, yourself. Why do you think he wouldn't? I mean, obviously, people know if they're night people or morning people. Why do you think he wouldn't? Why do you think he thought that was so easy to change? Oh, you know, because I don't know. Why, because many people say this all the time. They're like, oh, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to make up my mind. And there's all this research showing like, oh, it's really good for you to exercise in the morning, get it done. It like raises your metabolism, lifts your mood. Like there's a million reasons on paper why it makes sense. And night people kind of, I think they, I think that 
our culture guilts them. It makes them feel like they should be more morning people. And they kind of keep thinking like that they're going to just make themselves do it. And the fact is sometimes you do because as you get older, you become more of a, of a morning person. And I remember I was giving a talk and this guy in a very self-congratulatory way stood up and said like, well, you know, for years I was a night person, but finally I just decided I was going to do it. And, you know, and I think my teenage son should do it too. And I was like, you're 55, man. That's why it's getting easier, you know? And your son is, at, like, at the peak of nightness because, you know, um, uh, uh, teenagers are and young people are, are tend to be night um, in their life cycle. And so he was thinking that he had done this through self-control and, like, changing his nature. I'm like, you're just aging into more, being a more of a morning person. Um, but, I, you know, and I, and I will often say to night people, don't, try, don't, you know, like they'll say, oh, I'm not at my alert. You know, I want to be more alert for this 8.30 a.m. meeting that I have. And I'm like, I think you should really try to see if your boss could move it to 10 because you're never going to be that sharp at 8.30. It's like, but maybe they could, maybe they can't. Sometimes they can't. Like if you have little kids that need to get to school, you have to get up. But there are a lot of things where you can rearrange your schedule or you can move challenging things later in the day when you feel more prepared or like, Maybe, maybe, maybe it could just be a little bit later and that might make things easier for you. Could turn out that everybody in the meeting is a night person too. Like once you start asking around and once you start feeling like I could just accept this about myself and try to see if I could arrange my circumstances to suit me, that's different from feeling like, well, I need to change because everybody else can be up for an eight. Th- everybody else can get up and exercise before work. Why can't I? So it seems like there's a, there is a theme, which is that, uh, Clutter is not necessarily just physical clutter. There's also kind of the mental clutter of not trying to do all these things that are not necessarily, you know, kind of central to who you are, like trying to be a day person when you're more of a night person. Yeah. Um, You know, try to do the things that make time uncluttered. So there's a lot of evidence that, uh, and you talk about this on your blog, there's a lot of evidence that, uh, uh, you know, we need downtime to to we need uncluttered downtime mm-hmm. in order to be happier, mm-hmm. and all of these things are related. Just kind of having a, a less clutter in our lives, both internally and externally. And I think, of course, the title summarizes that with outward order, inner calm. And uh, I think it's a it's a, a a great book, and it's an important topic. It's a topic that I've lived an extreme of yeah. and, I, and I do think it was yeah. too extreme like I don't necessarily recommend what I did to to anybody um it was interesting but it didn't necessarily make me happier mm-hmm. although I would say probably a little bit like just because I had too much decision mm-hmm. fatigue mm-hmm. and I think decision fatigue also is a really interesting thing which is related yeah. to the, the time you spend on things and the, the messiness that comes before the tidiness is yeah. also related to decision fatigue but um Again, uh, it's a great book, Outer Order, Intercom, which fits all of your other books, uh, <laughs> beginning with The Happiness Project. I, I recommend people start, all, read all read this one, but read all of your books. <laughs> like they're, They'll make you happier. And happiness is so, so I feel it's kind of rare. Like I feel it's an uh, uphill battle to, to be happy all the time. But uh, thanks once again for coming on uh, the podcast. Oh, it's so much fun to talk to you. Your third time on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. That was so much fun. (laughs) 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.